Now, if you have your Bibles with you today, would you turn to Galatians chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2. We're continuing our series walking through Galatians, and the big idea behind this is that God created us to live in freedom. There's freedom that comes with the gospel, but it's hard for us to maintain that freedom. There are lots of forces outside of us that keep trying to enslave us once again. And this week, Paul's addressing this idea of how is it that we are made right with God? And that's a question that a lot of people ask. It's not unique to Christianity. It's all people all across the world are always asking, how is it that we're made right with God? And growing up in my family, there were two sides. One was all pastors for five generations and, uh, you know, very evangelical, proclaiming the gospel, all about serving in the church and telling everybody about Jesus' love for them and how to follow him. And then on the other side of my family, it was more of cultural Christians that they went to church sometimes and they believed that, you know, we're good people and everything. And so I had these discussions with my grandfather on that side once I'd made a decision to follow Jesus. And I'd be talking to him about it and, and he'd always say, you know what, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I've done more good than bad in my life. I think I'm a pretty good person. And his idea was that if, I do f- if my life, all of my actions, or if you add it all up and 51% of what I have done is good, then I'm going to go to heaven. If 51% is bad, then I'm going to go to hell. And so the goal is like, I don't want to do too much good. I'm just aiming right for that 51%. Let's not go crazy and shoot for 90, just enough to get in. And then um, I remember my, I had grand aunt on that side too. And I was like, hey, why don't you come to church with us? And she's like, oh, I already put my time in. I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, I, s- I taught in Sunday school for a long time, and I sang in the choir like I put my time in. I'm good. I'm like, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> like, what do you mean you put your time in? But the idea was that I've done something now that makes me right with God. I served in children's ministry, which I, I will say there might be a special place in heaven for nursery workers. I'm not saying that's in the Bible. It could be. Maybe not. It's not. But, <laughs> but God bless you if you do that. But it's this whole idea of that there are certain things that we have to do ourselves that make us right with God. And that's something that we see even in churches. Like churches are filled with people that don't really understand how it is that we're made right with God. And a lot of times we think that, uh, I get this question because we're in a political season. It's like, how could someone that's a Christian vote for blah, blah, blah? And, and then someone else will come, like, that's from the other party. Like, how could someone that's a Christian vote for so-and-so? And I'm like, I didn't know that who we voted for was what made us a Christian. I don't think when you get to heaven, they're going to pull out your voting records. That stuff's confidential anyways. And say, oh, you voted for Nader here? That's Green Party. I'm sorry. You don't get it. Like, that's not how it works. It, your salvation and your rightness with God is not dependent upon what party that you belong to and what uh, philosophical idea for governing people best suits you. That's, I think that the gospel and the work of God in us begins to change and to affect every area of our lives, but that's not what makes us right with God. There isn't one right person, I believe, that we're supposed to vote for. Uh, and there are sometimes it's like you have to look the right way. Have you ever had that? Where uh, I remember at one time going to a church and uh, I did not look the right way to be at that church and they made it pretty apparent to me. And it's the whole idea of, like, you got long hair, like, you're not really a Christian. Get right with God and get a haircut. You know? it's, and that's just this idea of, once again, it's something that I have to do to make myself right with God. And for most people, it's just you have to do right. If you aren't doing these things, then you haven't made yourself right with Jesus. But that's not the gospel. 
That's not what Paul has been trying to explain. That wasn't the message of Jesus when he walked on the earth. And so Paul starts out talking to these Galatians, and he's telling them, like, you guys have gone back to this, and they think that to be right with God, you have to get circumcised, which is not a big selling point for a lot of the Gentiles coming into the church. And now they're saying, like, hey, you're not a real Christian. You're not really right with God because you haven't done this thing. And so he writes to them, beginning in chapter 3, verses 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, That's a good way to start out a chapter. Who has cast an evil spell on you? And that word evil spell, uh, it means to look at someone judgmentally. That's what that means. So really it means that uh, you're giving someone the evil eye. Have you guys ever gotten the evil eye from your significant other? I remember my parents sang in the choir in our church growing up, and my sisters and I, we had to sit in the second row. The acolytes sat in the first row by themselves, and then we sat in the second row. And we'd be sitting there messing around with each other. My parents were up on stage singing, and if we'd start messing around, you know, they'd give us the eye. That evil eye, we're being judged. What we have done has just been judged. And it made you sit up straight. And I feel bad for the people sitting behind us because they probably thought my parents were just super mean people that were giving everyone the evil eye. But they weren't. They were just doing it to us. But they would give us that eye and we felt judged by it. I remember one time going to a church that I I was completely out of place in. I was the youngest person by probably about five decades. And I had long hair and piercings and a flannel shirt on. I was there uh, because... uh, there's a, an organist there that I wanted to hear, which sounds strange. But I didn't know anything about this, and there's a little prayer rail on the bottom, and I thought it was a footrest. I didn't understand what it was, so I put my feet up on it, and it comes crashing down really loudly, and everybody turns, and, you know, they give me the evil eye. They're all looking at me. They're all judging me, like, you certainly are not right with God. If you were, you never would have done that. But I just didn't know. I didn't understand. And I was being judged by that. And you guys have probably all had that experience before where someone has cast the evil eye on you. And that's what Paul is saying is that you guys, you're turning up your nose to other people because you think they're not doing it right. And he continues on by saying, For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. What Paul's saying here is like, guys, you don't understand It's like you saw Jesus crucified. A picture has been painted for you of a crucified Savior, but you're not understanding why it was that Jesus died. If you're telling people that there's these things you have to do to make yourself right with God, then you have no idea why it was that Jesus died. He goes on to say this, Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? As Christians, when we made that decision to follow Jesus, we received the Holy Spirit. You didn't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit before you made that decision to follow Jesus. And so he's bringing that point to them. He said, did you guys, were you given this gift of the presence of God dwelling inside of you by something that you did? And the answer is, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And what Paul's trying to drive home is this idea of that what started this new life in you was a decision that you made to put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation. But now they're turning away from that and they think that the work that the Holy Spirit started inside of us to make us into the image of God, to sanctify us, to purify us, 
We think now we can abandon that and that by the things that we do ourselves, we can perfect ourselves in Christian faith and life. But that's the opposite of what the gospel message is. That's the opposite of the Christian faith. It was done by God through the Holy Spirit inside of every one of us, and it continues by God through the power of the Holy Spirit in every single one of us. It's not based on the law that we follow. In Galatians chapter 3.10, it says this, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. And what he's saying there is that if you're trying to make yourself right with God based on the way that you follow law, that you have placed yourself under a curse. It's not that God's put you under a curse, but you have chosen to put yourself under a curse if the way that you make yourself right with God is through your own actions. And the reason for that is because the law can't be obeyed. It's completely impossible for us as people with a sin nature to completely, fully follow the law and attain salvation through perfection of our own ability. And even if we could do that somehow, the law still doesn't cure sin. There's nothing that we can do to cure the power of sin inside of us. You can't serve enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't give enough. And these are all great things, but those can't make you right with God. None of those things can do that. And if you're looking to that to make you right with God, it says you've placed yourself under a curse. And then if we try to make others follow our moral code to make themselves right with God, then we're encouraging them to put themselves under a curse as well. So then what was the point of the law? This is what Paul writes in Galatians 3.19. If the law can't make us perfect, if it can't make us right with God, then why did God even give us the law in the first place? And so he says this, what then was the purpose of the law? If you can't follow it, if it can't cure you of your sin, why was it that God gave us the law? It was because he knew that we couldn't follow it. He wanted us to have that tension inside of our lives or we come to realization that we've been trying as hard as we possibly can and we still feel distant from God, we still continue to have sin issues inside of our life, we know that we're not right with him. He wanted us to come to that conclusion, that there is nothing that we can do on our own to attain rightness with God. We have to look somewhere else for that. And so in Galatians chapter 3, he continues on by saying, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, and we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So the whole point of the law was that the law leads us to Jesus. If you've been trying, trying as hard as you can, and you've been doing everything of your own power, and you're just not there, it's because you haven't been doing it the right way. And this is something I, I meet with so many people and they're trying as hard as they can to try to be godly. They're trying uh, you know, to teach themselves morality. But it's something that we can't do on our own. The law, that wasn't even the reason why God gave people the law in the first place. We can't train ourselves for godliness. It's just not something that's within us. What God wants to happen inside of us is for a transformation to take place. The entire point of the law was that it leads us to the person of Jesus. And that when we come to Jesus, we allow him to transform us. 
And it says this in continuing in chapter three, that the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. See, Christianity doesn't want us to do right to be right with God. It wants us to be made right by Jesus. And when that transformation happens inside of us, it says that we are a new creation. And the old is gone and passed away. I love that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come, and all of this is from God. All of it begins, all of it continues, and all of it ends by the work of God inside of us. We aren't a people who follow a moral code. We aren't a people who are trained and disciplined to make ourselves godly. We're a new creation. And the old us is gone, like we talked about last week. The old us is dead and crucified with Jesus. And we have a new identity. There's new life that's inside of us. And when that miraculous transformation takes place inside of us, uh, that's called grace. That's the grace of God that's poured out inside of every one of us, is that we don't have to make ourselves right. Jesus did that for us. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. And when we become a people who don't just know about God's grace and they're say, okay, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, now we're a new creation, and not just an intellectual understanding of that, but when you begin to experience the grace of God in your life, that transforms you. It changes you. There's new wills and new desires that are inside of you. It says that the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is it gives us the will and the ability to live a life that's pleasing to God. I love that. It's the will to live a life pleasing to God. See, if that doesn't happen, if we don't rely on the grace of God, then what happens is we become the church of don't do that. And every single Sunday, I'll have to get up here and we'll go, okay, guys, don't do this. Don't do that. I saw you at the store. You were doing something you shouldn't be doing. And it just comes like, okay, we've got to train ourselves to be really good when nobody's looking and to hide all of our sin issues so that we look good in front of everybody else. But that's not grace. Grace isn't a, a message of don't do that so that you'll be right. What it is is that there's a transformation that's taken place inside of you, and now you're experiencing the grace of God inside of you. You are a new creation. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and now you live not trying to cover up and to hide all of the old things of your life, but there's new life and now there's new desire inside of you to live in a righteous way. And that's the difference between grace and the law. That's the difference between trying to earn your own salvation and accepting the grace of God inside of you to make you right with God. And that's what we need so badly as a church, so badly as individuals, is we have to be people who've experienced that grace. We have to be a church filled with new creations, not old dead people trying to learn to live in a new way, but new creations, new life inside of every one of us, new desires, new wills, new plans and purposes for every one of our lives that come from the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And here's how we live in that grace. Is number one, if we want to understand what grace is so that we can apply it to our own lives and then also be able to proclaim it to others, is that grace is a free gift. That grace of God is free to us. It's something that you can't earn, and that's what's so hard. The, uh, the mindset of the American culture is, I did something bad, so now I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to do something to make it right. 
That's not the way it works. When we break something, we can't buy it spiritually. We don't have the ability to pay for our spiritual brokenness. See, this is, this is what the gospel is. And this is what Paul's trying to hammer home to them in the body of chapter 3. As he says, we found ourselves in a real bad place because of sin. Because of sin, we separated ourselves from our Father. God is so holy, he's so pure, he's so just that he can't be in the presence of sin. And the only way that sin can be paid for is through death. The judgment, the penalty for our sin is death. And the problem with that is that's not what God wants for us. I mean, obviously you can see our problem with it, but we can see also that God has a problem with this because he created us to be sons and daughters. He created us to be a part of his family. He didn't just create us to be servants. A lot of times we think of that as, you know, I'm just a servant of God and that's your, the fullness of your identity or what God wants of you. But that's not true. He has angels. He has other created beings that serve him. He created us because he wants relationship with us. He wants us to choose to love him. He wants us to choose to be in relationship with him. Being a servant is part of that, but it's more than just serving God. It's relationally knowing and growing in our love and our affection for him and knowing our Father. But because of our sin, we're separated from him and now our penalty is death and we're going to be separated forever. So Jesus, there's this whole plan they make up before we ever sinned, before we ever needed salvation. There was a plan knowing that this was going to happen. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He came and he lived amongst us. He became a servant to mankind. He lived a pure and a spotless life. And he went to the cross to take the sin of the world upon himself to pay the price that we couldn't pay. And in doing so, he removed our debt from us. He paid the penalty for us. He died in our place. And now we receive life. Now we are made right with God through that. Our rightness with God is dependent upon what it is that Jesus has already done for us. And it's something we can't earn. It's something we can't pay him back for that. It was completely free to us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we deserved was death. But because of God's love for us, he came and he died for us so that we could freely receive his grace, so that we could freely receive life. But it wasn't free for him. Because we received it freely doesn't mean it was a free gift for him. He laid his life down for it. He went to the cross for it. Our freedom, our salvation, God's grace being extended to us was incredibly costly. You know, when I, when Easton was, I don't know, it was like maybe last year or something, and fell and cracked his head open and I had to take him to urgent care, and, you know, he, he's crying because he sees blood and he thinks that he's dying. He thinks it's the end of the world, and it wasn't, but it was scary for him. Uh, it was a little bit scary for me, but I was, you know, trying to keep it cool to encourage him. And so we're sitting there and we're waiting, and the doctor comes in and is like, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, close that up. And Easton doesn't know what's going on. We're reading him books. He's having a good time waiting to go home. And I remember then when the nurses come in and we have to hold him down. 
you know, mommy has to leave the room and they wanted me to leave the room soon. I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm definitely not leaving this room. I'm staying here with my boy. And they started to hold him down. And now Ethan's starting to get a little concerned. Like, why are these people wrestling with me? And then he sees the needle that they're getting out to give him the shots to numb it before they start stapling it up. And he's looking at me. He's like, isn't this the part where you swoop in and save me and get these bad people off of me? <laughs> and, then I, and then they come, and I, and I know what's going to happen. I know he's not going to like this one bit. And so I get down there, and I just on my knees in front of the table that he's laying on, and I just grab his hand, and I hold it. I'm just looking at him, and I'm like, Ethan, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And they put that needle in his head, and he just screams. And he's like, Daddy, help. Daddy, make him stop. Daddy, help me. And as a father, even though I know what they're doing is necessary, even I know I know it's not really that bad of a thing, just seeing my son begging me to save him, begging me to help him, I mean, I wanted to start punching nurses and doctors. <laughs> I wanted to save my boy, but I couldn't. I had to let it happen. And as I'm doing that, I started thinking about how it must have been for God the Father to watch his son go to the cross, to watch him be tortured, whipped and scourged, mocked and beaten, nailed to a cross and left to die. And there's this one part that is just the most devastating part of the entire crucifixion story for me. It was when Jesus, the Son of God, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine what the heart of the Father must have been like at that point? What he must have wanted to do to come to the aid of his Son? But he didn't. Because he knew every single one of us and I believe that he peered through eternity and he saw me and he saw you and he knew that the sin in your life was going to destroy you. It was going to separate you from God forever. And he had to sit there and he had to watch. As his only son said, God, why have you forsaken me? That's an incredible love. That's an incredible price that our God paid for us so that we could receive grace inside of every one of our lives. And this is what is so important that we understand is that God's love, the motive of his love for us is so great that he held nothing back in coming to our rescue. He was willing to pay the highest price that there is because we could not pay that price. There is not a single one of us that can pay for our own sins. There's not a single one of us that can pay for the sins of anyone else but we have a God who is willing to sacrifice his own son so that we, a people who had rejected him, we, a people who had despised him, rebelled against him, we, a people who deserved death, could have life so that we could know our Father, so that we could inherit eternal life, so that we didn't have to go through this life and all of eternity separated from him so that we could be joined to him through Christ Jesus. Number two, 
Grace is received by faith. And not just saying, it's not just a belief. Faith is not just a belief. Satan believes that there is God. Satan believes in Jesus, probably more than most of us because he has seen him. He knows his power better than most of us. What faith means isn't just a belief in the existence or just a belief that Jesus paid the price for our sins. It means that we put our trust in God now. We put our trust in God to be the one who does save us. We put our trust in God saying that I am going to follow you now even when I don't understand the way, even when I'm not clear on what it is that's happening or why this is happening. Jesus, I trust you because I know how great your love is. I saw it demonstrated on the cross that you would die for me. And so I'm going to put my trust in you now. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's all by grace that we receive this. It's not by what we do. It's by what Jesus has already done. And I know that today, I hope there are some of you that are here, and you're sitting right there on the fence. You haven't put your faith yet in Jesus. You haven't put your trust in him fully. And you're sitting there and you're considering it. You're seeking. You're not sure entirely if you can trust your life to Jesus. You're not sure what it's going to look like if you make that decision to trust in Jesus. And this is what I want you to know, is that you will never be able to intellectually understand grace and a life following Jesus until you first make that decision to follow him. Now my kid, You guys, you have kids. You ever try to give them really good food? And like, I don't like it. You've never tried it. How do you know you don't like it? Uh, we're going on vacation to Florida this fall, like our first family vacation ever. And I'm all excited. We've been saving and planning. And I tell my kids, like, guys, guess what? We're going to Florida. I don't want to go to Florida. <laughs> we live in Michigan. What do you mean you don't want to go to Florida? And like, I don't like it there. You've never been there. And they're just, like, the, the fear of it, they're like, oh, I'm like, guys, we get to fly in an airplane. I don't want to, what are you talking about? <laughs> I remember the first time I made steak for my kids for Ethan's birthday, and I'm like, I made you steak. Like, I, this is how much I love you. I went out and I got you a prime ribeye. It's going to give you terrible veins and arteries, but just enjoy it right now. <laughs> and he's like, I don't want steak. I'm like, what? And I'm like, you have to just try it. He's like, but I don't like it. It's not a chicken nugget. Not every. See, I'm trying to help them understand that something can be so much better than what they've currently experienced. Florida is better than Michigan. You might not agree with that, but you're wrong. Florida's better. (laughs) Steak is better than chicken nuggets, but you won't ever know that yourself until you make the choice to experience it. And we might not come back from Florida. We'll see. Radiant Church might be moving. (laughs) And it's the same for you. Now my kid wants steak every meal. Hey, what do you want for dinner? I want steak, Daddy. Well, we can't, you know. But until you make that decision to say, I'm willing to trust Jesus. I want to encounter God's grace, even if I don't understand it fully. But there are things about God, about grace, that you won't understand until you make that decision to trust him, until you make that decision to receive his grace in your life. And let me tell you, with everything that I can this morning, try grace. Try Jesus. Make that decision. Be bold. Be courageous. Be willing to say, the life that I have been living isn't working out. But I believe that the life that Jesus has called me to is really life. 
even if you don't understand that. Even sometimes, I remember when I started really following Jesus and leaving some of the old things behind, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, read my Bible? Like, how am I, what am I going to do for fun now? How am I going to do these things? It took faith, a trust in Jesus, that the life that he was going to lead me to and experiencing his grace in my life was going to transform who I was to my very core and my very nature and that he was going to lead me into blessings, that he was going to lead me into deeper relationship with him, that he was going to lead me into transformation that would make me like him. And I can tell you from experience, that is what's happened. You can trust Jesus. Make that decision. And then number three, grace is available to everyone. I love this. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say someone. It doesn't say people that look like us will be saved. It doesn't say people who vote like us will be saved. It says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, so many people, you invite them to church, and they're like, well, I can't come to church because I've done blah, blah, blah. So I was like, it sounds like you really need to go to church then. Like, if you lived a perfect life, you wouldn't have to come. Stay home, go to brunch, whatever. You've got this thing figured out. But if, you've, if you're messed up, if you've got sin issues in your life, if you struggle, if you have questions, if you have doubts, you need to be in church. Because this is the place where we meet with Jesus. This is a place of where we grow in our faith. This is the place of where we continue to receive grace from him. And this is what I want you guys to understand. I want this to be a church where absolutely everyone can come and call in the name of the Lord. I remember in the church I grew up in, there was this like big to-do, there was an, an older woman, and there's someone new that came, like, did you see him out there in the parking lot smoking cigarettes? First of all, I don't, uh, why, why do you, where in the Bible does it say that smoking's a sin? I think we can agree that it's an unhealthy addiction that people have in their lives. But if they're struggling with something and they, uh, like, why would we say you can't come to church because of this? Why do people have to have the same beliefs that we have to come to church? Our salvation, our rightness with God isn't based on how long our hair is, what we dress like, what we identify as. It's on none of these things. It's not based on our history, based on the decisions that we've made in the past. Church needs to be a place where every person is free to come in. I love it. Every now and then, like you'll smell someone that comes in and it's like, they were out late last night. I'm glad they're here this morning. Like, I like that. Every now and then, like, you'll smell someone that comes in smelling thick of the medicinal herb of our city. It's like, yes, they're in church. That's awesome. This is where they should be. I remember one time had someone, uh, some people came in, and it was like a polygamous relationship with like four people involved dating each other. And I was like, this is so crazy. I'm so glad you're here. Like, why on earth do we tell people that are messed up that they can't come to the one who can set them straight and bring life inside of them? Hallelujah. <laughs> Guys, this is what you need to understand. As we continue to grow, I don't, I'm, I'm so glad for everybody. If you were a Christian when you came here, thank God you're here because we need you to help share in the work of creating a place for people to come encounter Jesus. But I'm praying, like, God, bring us people that are messed up. Bring us people that are far from you. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the... So what should the church exist for? The healthy or both? That's the beauty of the church. It exists for both. We can't exclude either one of these things, but we need to have our eye on the sick. 
we need to be making a place for people who are far from God to be able to come in and experiencing his life-transforming power in their lives. And if we ever tell someone that they have to be a certain way before they can come to Jesus, then we're foolish Galatians. We're bewitched. We're those that are casting the evil eye at people. Oh, look what they did. Let that never be us. If that's been your experience in church, I'm so sorry. The reason that that happened to you is because, you know what, every person here, we're messed up too. And we're dealing with stuff ourselves, and our hearts are still being made right by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But we have to have an eye. This is the future of Radiant Church. This is the vision that we have, is that we're going to make a place where people come in, and they don't feel judged, they don't feel condemned, they're not getting the evil eye. The more messed up you think someone is, the happier you should be about them being here. And the more you should welcome them into this place and pray for Jesus to do the miraculous in his life, just like he's done in yours. Because you know what? If we don't do that, then we're struggling with a sin issue of self-righteousness. We're struggling with a sin issue of judgmentalism, which is just as bad as any sin issue that they're dealing with. Salvation, the grace of God, for everyone who calls on him. This is the beauty of it. Jesus goes, I love the woman at the well story. The woman at the well who's in sexual sin, who is someone that Jesus, according to cultural customs, shouldn't have even been talking to, was defiled just by being in her presence. But he loves her, he accepts her, and he reveals to her the true identity that she has as a daughter. This is what we have to walk this line, and it's a hard one as a church. We welcome everyone. We accept everyone. But we also tell them the truth of the life-changing power of the gospel. This is what Jesus did. He offered her acceptance, forgiveness, and love, and then said, go and sin no more. He didn't say go and live a perfect life from this point out. Like we all think, like I think about this all the time, we think, okay, I get saved, I'm going to make the steady line all the way up to perfect sanctification. That's not how life goes. It goes like, rip, 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 rip. That's how it goes, and we have to understand that that's how it's going to be for people. And when someone continues to struggle with a sin issue, it's like, get out of the church, what are you doing here? It's like, how can I come alongside you? How can I help you in this? Because the call of God on your life is beautiful and it's powerful, and he wants to lead you into that. We need to make a place for everyone to call on the name of the Lord. And number four, grace comes only through Christ. Now, in our pluralistic society, that's offensive to a lot of people. Like, how do you know your religion's the right one? Uh, How do you know that salvation only comes through Jesus? Why not through all these other paths that are out there? Well, I mean, honestly, we are pretty narrow-minded because we believe, like Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that none comes to the Father but through him. And that's the truth of it. The reason that salvation is exclusive to Jesus Christ is because he's the only one who paid the price for our sin. No other God has done that. No other religion has that. That's what sets Christianity apart and is so beautiful, is that our God came to us, that our God paid the price for our sins so that we could be made right with him. It comes only through him. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way. 
and we don't go out there and we don't beat people with that, but we can't ever compromise that either. Here's the problem. This is another one of the lines we walk as a church. is like we want to condemn everybody or we want to condone everybody. But salvation comes only through Jesus. And that has to be the message that we preach. It has to be the message that we live. Everybody come. Everybody, wherever you're at. But your salvation, the transformation of your life, receiving new identity, that's something that comes only through Jesus. And then number five, grace is extended throughout eternity. This, your sins, past, present, and future, have all been paid for. You have eternal life. So many people, like, they're scared. Like, oh my gosh, I, I sinned again. I hit myself you know, with a hammer. I said a word I shouldn't have said. Like, am I saved now? Yeah. Here's the thing. You are going to continue to sin. I hope it does bug you when you sin. If you ever get to the point where you just sin and you're cool with it, like something has gone really wrong in your relationship with God. But you don't have to live in fear that Jesus is going to return before you can confess a sin and ask Jesus to forgive you for it. Because his death was so powerful, it covered all sins for all time. And that's why you can live with the assurance of your identity with the assurance of God's grace working inside of your life. Now, some people might be listening to this and saying, well, pastor, it just sounds like you're saying we can do whatever we want, we can live however we want because God's grace covers it all. And that's not this message at all. Uh, this is addressed by Paul in Romans. He talks about some people are saying, well, let's just sin because that allows grace to be even more graceful for us. And he's like, no, guys, you are missing the boat. God's grace comes into you and it transforms you. And it says this in Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, you can't teach yourself godliness. You can't discipline yourself into godliness. What it says is that God's grace is what teaches us godliness. God's grace is what teaches us to say no to things. God's grace is what teaches us to say yes to things. But it's his work inside of us. Now, it still requires discipline because just like in my marriage, there are things that I know that I shouldn't do even though I love my wife with all of my heart and soul. There are still times where I want to let her know exactly how I feel about things. But because I love her, I exercise discipline inside of myself. Because you love Jesus, because of the new wills and desires that are inside of you, because you are a transformed person, because you are a new creation. That's what empowers and enables you to live a life that's pleasing to God. That's what enables you to live out the righteous and the holy call in your life. God said, I want you to be holy just as I am holy. Now, if you have to do that on your own, that's a terrible, terrible call in your life because you don't have the ability to live a holy life on your own. But through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, which you received through God's grace, you're not just free from sin, but you're empowered to live free from sin, to overcome temptation, to live the way that he's called you to live. That's grace. That's what this is all about. We're made right with God, not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done. We don't train ourselves to follow the law. We're transformed into a new creation. 
You guys pray with me this morning. Actually, one more thing. I forgot I have one more slide. I thought this was so clever. This is what grace does. Grace makes what we ought to do into what we want to do. It wasn't as clever as I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Let's pray. God, I'm just blown away by your grace that you would love us. Father, we come before you. We acknowledge that we are a sinful and a broken people so desperately in need of your salvation, so desperately in need of your grace in our lives. And Father, this morning we open ourselves up to receive it more fully. God, we want more of your grace, Jesus. We want more of that transformation inside of us, that new creation that we are, God. We want it to grow. We want it to take over every area of our lives, God. We want the will to live a righteous life, the will to live in a way that's pleasing to you, God. We want that to be stirred up inside of our hearts because, Jesus, we don't want to live the old way anymore. God, we've seen what the old life leads us to. We've seen what sin does inside of us, how it brings destruction. And Jesus, we don't want to have to just try to train ourselves and have our own strength to overcome it. God, we want your grace in our lives so that we can overcome. This morning, if, if you haven't ever made that decision, maybe you've been trying to earn rightness with God. Maybe you've been trying to do all of the right things, but you still feel so far from God. And you need his grace in your life. You need to put your trust in him. You need to be a new creation. And this morning, right where you're at, I encourage you to do this. To make that decision. That you're not going to do it anymore on your own. You're going to receive the free gift of grace that Jesus made available for you on the cross. You're going to let your sins be paid for and forgiven by Jesus so that you can receive the Holy Spirit, so that you can be a son, so that you can be a daughter of the Heavenly Father and have him stir up new desires inside of you. If that's you this morning, then I just encourage you to pray this with me. God, I love you. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And from this day forward, I'm trusting you. I'm turning away from the old life. Give me new life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.